Coming to you almost live from the summer home of the Nippy Radio Recording Studios. Welcome! Today we're doing the second part of what we originally thought was going to be a two-part series, but is clearly going to be more like a four-part series, on the burdens of proof and other important facts to be considered when conducting a suppression hearing. Today we're going to be dealing with Wade and Rodriguez hearings. So let's start with the Wade hearings. As in a MAP hearing, the people have the initial burden of going forward with credible evidence at a Wade hearing to establish that the identification procedures employed by law enforcement personnel were conducted properly and without impermissible suggestivity. Please see People v. Chip, 1990, Court of Appeals decision. Also, while the people have this burden of going forward, as written in People v. Truesdale, a First Department case from 2002, while the people had a threshold responsibility to produce a witness who would testify to the circumstances under which the defendant was identified, this procedural burden of production is minimal. It requires merely some proof of the circumstances of the identification procedure, and here they quote the case of People v. Ortiz, a New York Court of Appeals decision. As in other suppression hearings, the hearing court may find part of the people's witness's testimony incredible, but at the same time, accept that portion of the testimony which enables the people to meet their burden of going forward with credible evidence. Once the people have met this burden, the ultimate burden at the hearing is now on the defense to establish by a preponderance of the evidence that the procedures employed were so unnecessarily suggestive as to create a substantial likelihood of misidentification. This is the standard enunciated in People v. Duvon, a 1991 Court of Appeals decision. If the defense meets its burden, then the burden switches back to the people to establish that the witness has an independent source of viewing of the defendant that occurred before the improperly suggested procedure, and that will permit the witness to make an in-court identification of the defendant at trial. Independent source is a viewing of the defendant independent from the suggested procedure, usually during the crime, but sometimes there are additional previous observations or contact between the defendant and the witness. Do not forget to include evidence of these previous viewings if you are required to do an independent source hearing. This will overcome the effect of the suggested procedure and justifies the hearing court in permitting the witness to make an in-court identification. The burden is on the people to establish by clear and convincing evidence that such independent source exists. This finding of an independent source will not save the improper procedure for use at trial. Only the in-court identification will be permitted if there is a finding of independent source. Because this procedure is often identified as an independent source hearing, people believe it is a separate proceeding apart from the Wade hearing. This is incorrect. The determination of the existence of independent source is actually a reopening of the Wade hearing. This distinction is very important to remember because the people are usually not permitted to reopen a Wade hearing or any other suppression hearing after the decision has been made by the court. CPL 710.40 subdivision 4 identifies when a suppression hearing may be reopened, and it does not include or identify an independent source determination as one of the bases for reopening the hearing. So, how are you permitted to do an independent source hearing? 
You are permitted to do this by establishing that you intend to conduct the hearing as a bifurcated hearing. The Court of Appeals over the years has suggested that it is their preferred procedure for suppression courts to make an independent source determination as part of the Wade ruling, along with the ruling on whether or not the procedure was unduly suggested. However, this is not the standard procedure used in most courts. Rather, we proceed with bifurcated hearings. That is, first we present evidence on the level of suggestivity, and if and only if the court rules against the people and suppresses the out-of-court identification, will the people then present evidence of an independent source. If you plan to litigate only the procedures used by the police, you must make a record that your intent is to do a bifurcated hearing. By this, you are preserving the right, in essence, to reopen or continue the Wade hearing to include the finding of independent source, and you will not be in violation of the statutes which do not permit a reopening of a suppression hearing. A technical interpretation of the statute could lead to your being put in the position of not having preserved the right to do the independent source hearing and thus losing not only your out-of-court, but also your in-court identification. Likewise, if you are doing a Rodriguez hearing where the defense claims the parties are not as well known to each other as you contend, be sure you preserve the right to a Wade hearing if the hearing court rules against you on the familiarity issue. This will allow you, despite the fact of not having found familiarity, to substantiate the fact that the ID procedure used was not unduly suggested. There are cases where it will be advantageous for you to present evidence of an independent source as part of the initial Wade hearing and before the judge rules on the suggestiveness of the procedure. When the issue of the propriety of the identification procedure is legally close, the hearing court knows that if it rules in your favor and there is no independent source on the record and the appellate court subsequently disagrees with its finding, the case must be sent back. So it was held in People v. Burtz in 1990 Court of Appeals decision. Understand, too, that once the hearing court rules that the identification procedure is tainted and suppresses the out-of-court identification, the finding of independent source can only save the in-court ID. It does not resurrect the suppressed ID. However, if, in conjunction with the hearing on the suggestiveness of the procedures, you present evidence of an independent source, even if the hearing court improperly denies suppression and permits evidence of the out-of-court identification to be introduced at trial, the appellate court can find this was harmless error based on the fact you have an independent source that is on the record and the trial evidence in addition to this will avoid the need for the case being sent back. That independent source justifies the presentation of the in-court identification. See the case of People v. Owens, Court of Appeals case from 1989. In that case, the hearing court and the First Department found that the lineup was not unduly suggested. However, the Court of Appeals found otherwise. But since there was also an independent source determination at the hearing stage, the court's error in admitting evidence of the lineup was found to be harmless error due to the overwhelming evidence of the defendant's guilt established at trial. Now let's take a look at Rodriguez hearings. If the people assert that the identification by the witness was confirmatory in nature, 
due to a significant previous relationship between the defendant and the witness, or they had significant contact in the past. The burden is on the people to establish this significant relationship if it is denied by the defense in its motion papers, and you should make every effort in your motion papers to raise this issue. As in a Wade hearing, you should make it clear on the record that if you fail to establish a significant previous relationship to satisfy Rodriguez, you will then litigate the Wade issue. A pseudo-bifurcated hearing, as previously noted. Failure to do this could lead to a preclusion of all identification if you do not meet the Rodriguez criteria because the court will not permit you to establish the legitimacy of the ID's procedures themselves. There may be situations where it is strategically advantageous to simply do a Wade hearing and not conduct a Rodriguez hearing, but that is for your determination on an individual case analysis. When conducting a Rodriguez hearing, the person who is most obviously aware of the relationship between the defendant and the witness is the witness. However, the courts have permitted the district attorneys to present evidence of the prior relationship through the testimony of police officers who have been briefed by the witness before the hearing as to the relationship. Since hearsay evidence is permissible at suppression hearings pursuant to CPL 710.60 subdivision 4, this procedure has been approved by the courts. You will find, however, on occasion a defense attorney will be able to ask a number of significant questions for which the police officer does not have an answer, and the court will ultimately require you to present the witness themselves to testify to this relationship. However, you should consider in situations where the parties are clearly well known to each other, the testimony of the police officer may well satisfy Rodriguez's requirements. Also note that if the people fail to give proper 71030 notice of the ID procedure, but can establish a Rodriguez relationship, then there is no need for the notice to have been given in the first place because the ID could never be suppressed, regardless of how suggestive it was. See the case of People v. Tass from 1980. To find the authority, both case law and statutory, for the issues we've discussed today, please be sure to see the written version of this NIPTI practice tip, as well as the various memos that you will find in the PE. Links to some will be found on the bottom of the NIPTI practice tip. As always, our thanks to our crack producer, Jonathan Marconi Crespino, and to all of you, be well and stay ready, my friends. <laughs>